everybody thanks for checking out episode 24 of the and one podcast and i actually have a pretty big disclaimer going into this um on netflix there's a show called last chance you basketball and we did get the head coach to come on this week i know it's huge we could not pass up this opportunity uh despite the fact that it's a little bit outside of kw just want to say that i think you'll enjoy this episode twice as much if you go and watch the show eight episodes they're about 50 minutes an hour long each like i get it it's long this podcast isn't going anywhere come back in two months come back in three months uh whatever you got to do i swear i benched the show in like a week it was great um but yeah this will definitely spoil a little bit um but hey you know if you're not interested in watching the show or you're gonna do it some other time uh you'll still get a lot of this episode just wanted to get that out of the way and like usual, uh, all that good stuff is down in the description below. Podcast, Instagram, podcast, email. Send us an email if you think you should be in this podcast or you know somebody who you think should be in this podcast. And don't forget to enjoy the episode. Peace. And we're rolling. Welcome back to the And One Podcast, everybody. Today we have a great guest on our hands. Uh, it goes by the name of John Mosley, and that name might sound a little familiar to you all. Um, he was featured in season one of the hit Netflix series Last Chance You Basketball, where he eventually led his team to a program best 29-1 and record before unfortunately having the season cut off due to COVID. Um, more unfortunately, this season was also canceled due to COVID, um, but it would have been his ninth season as head coach at the East Los Angeles College, or ELAC for short. Um, before his time coaching the ELAC Huskies, uh, mostly spent five years at NCAA Division I California State University Bakersfield as an assistant men's basketball coach. And we thank him for deciding to give us a little bit of his time today and uh, come on the podcast. So, how you doing, Coach? Thanks for coming on. Uh, just say hello to everybody, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I mean, similar to how you guys are, the reason why I'm on is because I've still got a little free time here. Um, you know, I've, it, it's, uh, I've carved out some time to, to kind of reach out and communicate with people, but this is kind of what I've been doing. This has been our life, right? We're on Zooms yeah. and podcasts, and uh, it's, it's fortunate, but unfortunate. We're learning some things about the pandemic of how we can communicate and, you know, reach out through Zoom. But at the same time, we're, you know, we've kind of lost something uh, yeah, you, with our guys. Yeah, with the Zoom. So we've kind of lost a little bit. We still haven't been able to get in our in our facility. Uh, you know, so from what you saw and how we impacted lives, you know, it's, it's been tough. We haven't been able to do it in that way in over a year. Yeah, and how's, how's it been since the show aired on Netflix? I know you're probably quite the popular guy now. Anyone asking for pictures and stuff while you're walking down the street? Yeah, I get a little bit of that, man. You know, well, you ask my wife, she's not having it, right? She's like, uh, get out of here. Hey, I told my wife, I said, hey, uh, 
I think she asked me to do something. She's like, hey, can you go do this, this? I was like, hey, you need to talk to my publicist. She, <laughs> she raised her fist. She said, boy, I'll knock you out. So, uh, but, but no, it's been good, man. A lot of outpouring. People have reached out and said that they've been inspired and encouraged. I had no idea it would be inspirational. Yeah. I just thought it'd be, okay, I didn't think it was going to be good. You know, just showing us and doing what we're doing and just being normal. And they're like, oh, everybody's like, you guys are so inspiring. And I'm like, we're just trying to live out what we do every day and, 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 you know, and serving these young men, trying to get them transferred to four-year university. So it's been yeah. good. It's been surprising. You know, sometimes I walk into space and I'm thinking like, okay, everybody's going to recognize me and nobody knows me. And then there'll be times I'm minding my own business. And then everybody comes up and says, you're Coach Mosley from Last Chance You, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's been good. It's been good. Um, yeah, they kind of been scared. I'm gonna scream at them or something. So a lot of them kind of stand far back, like don't run up the wall, Coach. You know. Yeah, I mean, you did a lot of that in the show. Can't lie. And yeah, as you as you're getting more popular, obviously the school is as well. I know you're not in charge of the recruiting, but has that changed at all since your school has become so much more bigger and popular? Well, you know, we've always done a good job. Uh, I thought we were doing, I mean, we were 29 and one. So, you know, not, not only were we one of the better uh, teams in the state, but, you know, in the country, we were pretty good. I felt if we would have played some of the national junior college teams, we would have held our own. Yeah. Um, so we had done okay. But what has happened is that's multiplied like tenfold or be more than tenfold, probably multiplied a hundredfold in terms of us trying to filter out. Um, and even the guys that we have now, the guys we yeah, have now yeah, that we thought yeah. we're going to play the season with, we recruited them, you know, we recruited them after the filming, the show hadn't come out. So we really, uh, they really didn't. So everybody that's in our, in our program right now and that have gone on, they were recruited in Joe and Deshaun. They didn't know what we were going to do last chance. You, I kind of told them when they showed up, so nobody knew. So our team was was going to be a good team in spite of, you know, last chance you, it, it was pretty organic. And then the team that we recruited now is probably a better team than the team you saw. And that team was recruited not with the intentions of guys coming because of the show. But now since the show has come out, I've received, I've received thousands of emails from everywhere all over the world. And I'm thinking like, dude, we don't even have scholarships. How are you guys going to make it? You know, so that'd be interesting, right? To have like 5,000 people in our, you know, try it out for our team. So uh, it's that, that part has changed for us to be able to filter through that. Um, we've done a good job because of our reputation to get guys transferred out. But, but yeah, it's changed, man, to try to filter through it. And I'm the type of person like similar with you guys. I'm just like, you know, the Netflix team, they, they set up all these podcasts for like a month. And then they kind of left it to me after that. They're like, okay, we don't go past a month and a half or so. So now I kind of want to reach out to everybody. And the same with recruiting, I'll, I would like to touch everybody. I don't want to act like I'm big time or nothing, you know. So yeah. so it, it, I don't know. It's interesting how we, we kind of filtering through it right now. Yeah, for sure. We had a, uh, we had a coach on few episodes ago named Troy Stevenson who, who runs a, uh, a basketball cr program at one of the local universities uh, here in KW and I remember he was really complaining about 
just the amount of, as he put it, 5'11 yeah. combo guards, sending him highlight reels of them shooting around outside. Um, what's the volume of, of just people, uh, you know, you know, reaching out to you been like, and, and have you noticed that same, that, that same, I guess, uh, disparity or, or difference between the positions where there's just way too many small guards trying to get into your school? Yeah, there's, well, usually those are the ones that are most available. And I think coach Rob hit on it in the, in the, in the show. And even Deshaun said it, there's a lot more guards than there are guys with size mm-hmm. and physicality. So it's a little bit harder for them, man. There, It's an overload of, of guards and it, it, it really takes myself or coaching staff to go out and look and, and really see that what special attributes do we like out of this specific guard? Because I'm pretty certain most of them are good enough. But since there's so many, can we really find something special in that one guard? Yeah. You know, if the guard is spectacular, of course, he's probably at a Division One school playing. But it, it, let's just say there's 500 guards that are, you know, and you said 5'11". I'm, I'm looking at 5'9 and 5'7" guys you know and wow uh sometimes i gotta pause and say um i wonder did they see the show you know when i look at their film and and some of them i think like okay i they're probably not gonna be good enough to play based on the talent that we have right now and i'm wondering did they really see the show and see the level and do they have a a understanding of of who they are you know a, a sense of reality of who they are and so those are all questions. And part of those questions come from, you know, stem from, you know, how we view ourselves and our, how our, our players see themselves based on social media. I mean, we, we put out one video and we, you know, we think that's who the person is. You know, I want to see the whole person. I want to see you in person. I want to see your game. So, yeah, it, it's kind of tough to kind of filter through that. But I'm always take it from a real perspective. I'm never going to be mesmerized by some social media video that somebody puts out because uh-huh. you can pay a couple hundred bucks and have a great video. Uh, I'm going to go from the old old school perspective and try to see it face to face with my own eyes, you know? So that's why it's going to be hard for me to take guys from out of state and just all over the place. You know, if you're 610, of course, all day long, come on, you can walk through the door. I mean, that's just the reality of it, you know? Yeah. Man, talking about if these guys can last in a league with, with, you know, such athletic specimens, I'm thinking, how's a 5'11 guard getting past Coach Mosley in practice? Like, you're, you're, you're jumping in, clamping guys up in the show. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to see a 5'11 guard try and, try and get by that. I, I mean, you know, you're, you, well, I, if you can't I, get by <laughs> me, then, 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 yeah, it's probably exactly, not right? work out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Um, but yeah, no, you, you talk about, uh, kind of building those relationships. Um, with guys and I remember I was listening to the show and you know we're not we're not you know sit at the sit by the show with a clipboard and notes just writing everything down we you know we like to enjoy the experience but I remember there's one thing you said in the whole show that I wrote down uh, and I don't know if it's the most important I'm not going to say it is but it was just something that stuck out to me um, and you said that rules without relationships equals rebellion and I, I'm, I mean I love the quote but my question is how do you go about building these relationships and maybe what did the show miss or not fully capture with this relationship building process? If it did at all, I guess. Well, I think you got to, you know, I share on many platforms. You got to 
you got to live out the burden with these young men. So the burdens of what's going on in their lives. So you you immediately you immediately check out Joe Hampton's response to adversity. Uh, mm-hmm. You you look at Joe Hampton's response to a uh, uh, an officiating call or any of that stuff. But really, the the bottom line is what what is really going on and why he's responding in that way. You know, that do you know what legal situation that he's going through? Do you know what happened? What 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 took him to what happened? How did he get to school today? Uh, did you do you really know? Like, I mean, he was going through so much that I had just a little bit of understanding that if he acted out, I knew it wasn't because of basketball. He wasn't going to sabotage basketball. You know, he loved basketball. He loved the game of basketball. So why would he sabotage it? It was something going on in his life. There's other things that are going on that's causing him to respond. He's just trying to get attention. So what we have to do, and and this is what I do, and, and you don't have to do it. But if you say you want to help young men like Joe Hampton or Sean, you really have to dig in and find out what's going on because they got diamonds inside of them. You just got to chip away. Um, all you do is see, you know, all we do sometimes is just see the responses. We see the outer and we don't know what's going on inside. We don't know who they are and know why they're responding that way. Maybe they were dealing with abuse. Maybe they're, you know, and I, and I mentioned it. Well, they got an opportunity. They need to take it. Well, you know what? They've never built a foundation that showed them how to take the opportunity. And the ones who can't see it are the ones who had somebody there to help them build the foundation. They just forgot. You know, you, you might have forgot that you learned a way to, to develop those things, that somebody gave that to you. You, you know, the, the old quote, you forgot where you came from. You know, you forgot yeah. that you were in a moment where somebody had to help you come out of that, whether that was your parents or a coach or a mentor, if you're in a great place, you didn't do it all on your own. Mm-hmm. Even if it was one person or one thought, somebody helped you build uh, a foundation. And maybe it only took you one conversation. Some people, it, it takes 10 conversations. Well, I'm going I'm to have a million conversations until you figure it out. And that's not for everybody. That's just what I decided to do. You know, maybe your thing is go raise a million dollars and and donate it to East LA College. You know, maybe that's your thing. Run if you're a CEO, yeah. build a great company and allow uh build great companies so you can provide jobs. Maybe that's your thing. Your thing maybe isn't to go build relate, just build a company and, and provide jobs. But I think in, in all leadership, you gotta build those relationships to get people to follow uh what you're trying to do, the vision. Yeah, and um Juco, Juco in general, especially your team, players really use it as a transition to D1. As you've gotten lots of recognition, done a really great job, and you've watched all these players make the jump to D1, have you ever, have you been thinking to yourself, oh, I've got all this recognition, maybe I should go to a D1 school? Or do you know that this is your purpose and this is what you want to do for a really long time? Well, you know what, I've been asked that question, and I have been offered a couple opportunities but I think I need to be in, in the plate for me is to be where, you know, I, I, I've shared on many occasions, never, uh, you know, lose the mission over the money, you know, yeah, never, yeah. you know, stop the mission over the money or never uh, lose your 
message over the money. And, you know, I do have to take care of my family. I have to do all that. But if I, if I was to leave for the money and for like a better, in the, so to speak, opportunity, and I'm doing okay now. Like I, I got a tenure position teaching now. So it's, 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 it's good enough now where I can stay and take care of my family. But if I was to do that, and not to say that those university coaches, they don't do a good job of it and mentoring and, and, and taking care of young men and helping them out. But I just think if it was me, I'm going into a space where I got to win. Otherwise, I'm going to I'm yeah. going to lose my job. And when you get to the university, that's how you feed your family. You have to win so you can keep your job. And I may find myself being consumed with winning more than than my purpose of building relationships and uh, which is a byproduct of uh, of winning, you know, or winning is the byproduct of building those relationships at this level. So we win because of, of that. But I may lose it, uh, and and so I have to take a look at that and make sure that I have enough support on what my beliefs are that I can take that risk. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. It reminded me of probably my favorite coach of all time. You definitely don't know him, but Whitey. When we asked him, he had multiple offers from university, but he always wanted to stay high at high school because he wanted to keep developing the players, building good relationships and not be in that environment where, you know, you might lose your job and you can't, you can't really pay attention to the relationships and stuff like that when you, when you're at such a pressure to win. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's been amazing, man. And I really want to dive into, to just a little bit deeper into what you were saying there. I, you watch the show and you're, you're clearly a winner. You, you, you listen to the last two minutes of audio, what you just said, you're clearly um, a winner and you know coaching a team going 20 uh 29 and one former five-star players people trying to go to d1 for the first time go back to d1 i guess that you seem to be this symbol of urgency the the burden of of keeping everything urgent you know one mistake one day off could cost a lot especially uh, getting into the playoffs single game knockouts Having that burden on you every day, what's it like? Does it get to you? I mean, what's it What's it like being in your mind during a typical season, and especially one where your team's going 29-1? and one? Yeah, I mean, I be, you know, when you've coached for 20 or so years, you you kind of live that out. The, I mean, there's only one coach, you know, that stands there and raises the trophy every year. Yeah. So – there's more disappointments than there is of uh, me raising a trophy in my coaching career. And the reasons for not raising a trophy are those urgent matters that I'm trying to address. And they don't see it, but I'm trying to tell them like, Hey, it may feel good now, but there's going to be a moment where that jump stop is going to matter. Where showing up on time is going to matter. That chess pass and I'm not just talking about the basketball game, but you got to carry this on in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not going to, there's going to be a moment where the pressure is going to be on and you're going to have to execute. You're going to have to be skilled. You're going to have to respond to the adversity. And so that's the lesson that we're trying to teach and not just same thing with, with, with how maybe a Joe responded. It, it, it had nothing to do with basketball. It's like, man, you're a great basketball player, but we got to change the response because 
life is going to come at you and there's going to be issues. There's, it's not going to be fair. How are we going to respond and get through it? And, and those are the lessons. That's the urgency that I'm trying to share with them. Like, no. And the, the only way that we can even get close to making less mistakes is that is if we try to be perfect, you know, of course I know it, everybody knows it, but I'm not going to say, well, I can't be perfect. Right. So let's only practice being not perfect. Like since we're not going to be perfect, let's practice not being perfect. No, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to be perfect. We know that, but let's try to practice being perfect. Let's try to have perfect habits. And then if we fall short, guess what? It might be good enough if we fall short, but if we practice not being perfect, it's not going to be good enough, you know, Because, because if you practice not being perfect and then you fall short of not being perfect, that's, that's even worse, you know? So why not practice being perfect and fall short of that? Of course. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. And, um, the JUCO environment, I find it really, it's really interesting because you have, especially on your team, you have such good talent. You have like five, eight people, well, even sometimes even more than that, whose their individual performances depend that, no, that like how far they go in basketball depends on how they play as an individual in those games. You really, you kept things tight. You kept everything good. Like you did the team trips and everything and everyone ended up playing together as a team and it was great. Had you had any, had you have any um years in the past where everything kind of just fell apart and everyone is just trying to get the ball and score? Yeah, well, that's every, that's every year. It falls apart and everybody's trying to get the ball and score every year. You deal with that every year. Some years you just have better players and you can get through it. Uh, some years you have better leaders, some years you have better, uh, but that's something that's a challenge, especially in our culture now where everybody wants to be a star and, you know, look at the, everybody wants to be uh, the Brooklyn, you know, Nets or, you know, everybody, that, that's the team and, and less of what you, you guys, Toronto Raptors, you know, a year ago, right? Uh-huh. Uh, where it was more of a team. So, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's really what's in our culture. And so you deal with that. I, I like what one coach said. Everybody is dysfunctional. Uh, is who can be the least dysfunction? Dysfunctional, you know. We're all dysfunctional, you know. Who could be the least yeah. dysfunctional? So we deal with those challenges every year. It's just who how can we uh, deal with it the least and change some of the least. So, in I think in sports you don't start from the top and and work mm-hmm. out the kinks. I think is you start at the bottom and you 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 work up. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it. I uh, pull, pulling quotes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I, you you've done enough of these. I'm sure you got that uh somewhere. But but I appreciate the uh the feedback. I kind of want to go back. He wonders why people find him inspirational. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I want to go a little bit back to to what we were talking about uh, with athletes and and knowing you know what what builds up an athlete and you know never forgetting where you came from. It made me remember and and just think about uh, there's a tendency from ordinary people, people in the media, people at all levels of sports culture, I guess I'll say, to see athletes being given scholarships, being given, um, you know, team clothing, being given playing time on a team, 
and get, being in a documentary, essentially being given responsibilities and opportunities, and and looking at those athletes and saying, well, how can they complain? Like, what? How can there be? How can they not perform? How can stuff be going wrong because they're being given all of this? Mm-hmm. What maybe might people be missing there? Um, looking at scholarship athletes. And just saying, well, what more can they ask for? They're being given this amazing opportunity with a scholarship, you know, like. Yeah, that's a that's like a great question. Uh, I worked for a company for a year and the company was uh, it, where in between coaching. OK, it was a I, I would say. A, I guess we you call it a headhunter, right? So what I do is I mm-hmm. would go scout. Uh, I would talk to companies on, you know, I would talk for, you know, young people that wanted to get a job on, you know, for on behalf of them. I would talk to hiring managers. I would talk to, uh, regional managers, uh, you know, HR teams that was trying to hire young talent in the corporate world. And so when we did that, what I would do is I would go reach out. And I got a greater appreciation. I would reach out to some of the universities. I had a region that I would do. And UCLA was one of my schools, Pepperdine, a couple of schools. I would go in to the athletic department. And what I would do is I would find those that were interested or graduating, seniors that were graduating, looking to go right into finding a career. And I had some career opportunities for them. So what I would do is help them prepare them with their resumes and help them uh you know, prepare their interview skills, companies that wanted right away entry level positions where they can make a decent living, maybe in business or something like that. So, and I would try to partner them with these companies. Well, what I learned during that time, you know, being a coach in between that time, what I learned is what a student athlete actually goes through, right? Now, here I am a coach all these years, and you really dig into what a student athlete does. And has to live through. Because why would I, and why you say do I finally get all that information? Well, we have to sell the student athlete, right, to this company. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of CEOs that, that want athletes. And here's the reason why. Because of what they've gone through, not what yeah. they've been given. So you're talking about a student athlete. You say they are spoon-fed. And really all they have is this scholarship, but you know what? They're working for that scholarship. What you see is them on TV and them being celebrated and everybody clapping and cheering for them. But that, that is, it's abuse. It's work. It's work. It's stress. It's uh, a level of resilience. It's what they are beating their body into submission. I mean, all of the things that they go through that the student athlete will have to wake up. I won't even tell you what ours, but since you talk about college, uh, college uh, scholarship athletes, <laughs> the guys, they have to wake up in the morning and then go maybe do a weight routine workout, then go to class. Now, mind you, all of the student athletes are full-time enrolled, enrolled athletes, right? They're full-time students. Now, here's the thing. In the NCAA... You only get four years to complete the degree. Now, if you are not on track to graduate after after you finish one year, two years, three years, so after one year, you have to be done 
with your requirements as a freshman. Okay, so what that means is more than likely you're taking 12 to 15 units if you're talking about semester units. So you're taking more than a full load. So you have a student athlete. Now, guess what? A traditional student, they can take whatever load they want, depending on how long they want to get out. Well, no, a student athlete has to take a full load and more often than not, they have to take more. All of them take more. Okay, so you got a student athlete that's taking a more than a full load. Number one. Number two, they're waking up at six in the morning to train. They're taking that full load. They have to meet the standard and the requirement. Now they don't get to go home and go party, right? They they got to go to study hall. They got to go to practice, which is mentally, phys- physically demanding. And it takes time away. Okay, well, they're traveling. They're having fun. Well, how about going three hours a day, you know, you would call it maybe a part-time job. They got to go three hours a day, put in the time physically and emotionally. And so for some, it's abuse. It's, it's emotionally draining to try to earn a position, to try to keep that scholarship. It can be psychologically and emotionally and physically demanding. It, and it really is on the body. You got to eat right. Okay, you know, you got to be in alignment with eating. But then after that, now you got to perform in front of 10,000 people and hit that free throw shot. You got to take the scrutiny of the media. It seems like joy and it seems like fun, but you got to you got all of that on your shoulders that you got to weigh in on. And then guess what? You go home and you have to do your homework and then you got to repeat that for six, seven days a week. You got to do that over and over and over and over and over. You have to meet those demands. You got to perform at an elite level. Well, I can do that if I train. No, you try to perform at an elite level and try to perform at an elite level academically. So the requirement of a traditional student is just to perform. Their only requirement is to perform at an elite level academically, right? But a student athlete has to do it academically. They have to do it athletically. And now guess what? They're on a big platform, so they got to do it socially as well. Now they have the social that they have to live up to a standard there as well. Okay? Yeah. And, yeah. and you talk about the time of day. So a lot of times you say they walk around entitled. Man, they walk around with a swag. That's because they're tired and they're they're emotionally drained. They have no time to expend any emotional energy on, you know, now they should, they got to learn how to get through that, but their emotional energy, they're saving that up for when they got to deal with the coach that's screaming at them 24 seven. And then the travel, the demands that's on their body. Yes, it seems fun. It seems glamorous, but when you're in it, it is not. And I think that's what they don't, that a lot of people who say we're spoon fed for a student athlete doesn't get that it's almost like three full-time jobs that they have to deal with as a student. And they've taken, if you do the studies, their load, academic load is a bigger academic load than any, than the traditional student on campus. They have to meet the NCAA requirements for degree progress, or they lose their scholarship. So they can't have a bad semester or they can lose their scholarship. You know what I'm saying? So the traditional student can fall off and fall under a 2.0 and just be on probation and 
they can come back to school and just pay for it to get it done. Well, guess what? The student athlete, if they fall below, they lose their scholarship. It's over. So there's a level of stress in academics. There's a stress level in all these areas. There's a stress level socially that they have to live up to, especially if they're on a large campus. And, and I don't even want to go into the community college student. In California, there's no scholarships. So how do they get to school every day? And, and then the same deal, they got to deal with the academic load. They have to. So now in the community college and what we're dealing with, they have to deal with all of that and they have to deal with it without a scholarship. And they got to figure out how to get to school every day. They got to figure out how to eat every day. So, uh, yeah, it looks yeah. glamorous. It looks like we're getting all the, the, but I'll tell you what, the reason why that CEO, and I'll go back to my first point, they want that college athlete is because they know the resilience and they know the pressure that they've worked under and they know that they perform. So what I would do is I would go on to these college campuses and I'm looking at that, that pitcher who's standing out there on the pitcher's mound, who has a full load academically. He's all by himself. And in the bottom of the ninth, he had to get three outs. You know what I'm saying? He had to get three outs in order to move on in the playoffs. And that one last pitch depended on it. And guess what? He was able to physically perform and get that pitch, strike that guy out. Or on the other side, that guy was able to hit that home run. I had a young lady that I sold to a company. She said, I don't have any experience. She was the, uh, a, a baseball player for UCLA. And I said, she said, well, I went to school. This is my GPA. I haven't done anything. All I did was play softball. I said, tell me one of your greatest moments in softball. She said, well, oh, in 2010, I think it was 2010 or 11, she said, mm -hmm. well, I hit the game-winning home run to win the World Series for NCAA World Series. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's your experience. What CEO, you tell me as a CEO, would you hire her or would you hire the young lady who walks in there, who worked in the, you know, who worked in the, in the uh, school cafeteria and my floors as their experience and they graduated cum laude. Yeah, they graduated cum laude. Or do you want this young lady who hit the game winning home run in the world series and who also got her bachelor's degree in business? I'm going after her. You know why? She performed on the biggest stage. She woke up five in the morning to get extra reps in to hit. She did what it took to perform at the highest level, physically, emotionally, mentally. So you talk about the student athlete. And so I get passionate about it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowing you guys to cut me off, but I'm, I'm passionate about it because we get such a bad rap and they look down on the student athlete. And lo and behold, the work, the grind that they go to, through and the value that they have, they're looking at us as a whistle. And I think in professional sports, it gets lost, the grind, because they just see an athlete, phenomenal athlete. That's what they do. We don't have any intelligence. We don't have any fortitude. You were able to jump, so that's why you've been given that opportunity. Like, no, that's a rare breed. LeBron James is a rare breed. He was going to be a great athlete, and he was going to be a millionaire no matter what happened. But what about the young lady who I just mentioned to you? You know what I'm saying? Who hit the game-winning home run. No, she's not going to be a major league baseball player, but she's a great performer, and she – what she can bring to society and what our athletes can bring to society, power, 
the passion, the, the leadership, the resilience, all of that that they can bring to society that the whole world is missing because they maybe look at how, you know, Kyrie Irving acts, you know, because Kyrie Irving misses a game here or there, you know what I'm saying? And they think, oh, what a spoiled athlete, right? But what about all the other athletes that are out there pitching and quarterbacks that are getting their degrees and going on into society? Those are the ones that I'm advocating for. All right, man. I gotta, I gotta jump in now. We're we're coming close to the end. Uh, don't have too too much time left, and uh, and and it wouldn't be an ad one podcast uh, without it. So, uh, no further ado. The final question we ask all of our guests is, uh, is why do you do the work that you do? Um, you know what? I love competition. Um, I found that out. You you kind of start doing it, and you find out that you love it. So. And then I found out that I've, I've loved the the the, the environment, uh, the locker room environment. I was able to stay in that. And then I found out that with this, I can use this the, the sport as a carrot to to kind of minister and impact lives because there's a carrot there. They want to play, they want to have success, they want scholarships. So that's a carrot where I can impact lives. And so I think that's kind of why I do what I can do, why I do this and from the basketball aspect of it, it's, it's staying in the locker room. You know, I can stay in the locker room. Uh, and, and it kind of brings me home. It keeps me young. So. Yeah, it, it's great. Um, and we all, we also always ask this to our guests right near the end is, is just if there's anything you want to shout out to anybody uh, listening, you can do that. Not sure if there is, but you know, we always like to, to give a moment for that. Nah, not, not really, man. Shout out to all you guys up there, man. And, uh let's just get through this this uh pandemic man and of course let's get back to some normalcy that's about it if anybody can and with decision making capabilities you know let's get back to some normalcy so that's my shout out hey that that's great i appreciate you going on that uh that almost rant as you say you know it's a truly ridiculous narrative that that i thought i'd uh bring up and, and let you see your opinion on it. I, I think that it aligns with the opinions of the end one podcast. If there was any, yeah. um, so you, you know, murkiness the there, you know, so hopefully we're, we're clear with that. Uh, we love what you said. Uh, we, we love the show uh, and we, we love what you're, you're, you're preaching at, uh, at, at ELAC. So, so best of luck to you guys in your future seasons. And uh, yeah, no, we, we're excited to have you on and we just want to, we want to thank you for giving us this time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and of course, anybody still listening, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week, so peace. Peace.